Welcome to a new edition of System Update. I'm Glenn Greenwald. This episode focuses on numerous tactics used by the animal agricultural industry and factory farms to target, retaliate against, and persecute any activists who work to expose or otherwise denounce the barbaric practices regularly used by this industry. And we focus on a particularly pernicious campaign recently discovered as the result of a FOIA request obtained by The Intercept to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which targeted a very respected Berkeley area veterinarian, Dr. Crystal Heath, who has long worked with shelters and spaying and neutering animals, as well as as an animal rights activist, to target her and destroy her reputation. In a coordinated campaign from industry groups, from lobbyist groups and other industry activist groups, in retaliation for her denouncing various uh, savage practices used by the industry that as a veterinarian, she was particularly well qualified to speak about. It really is not an exaggeration to say that the animal agricultural industry, as it has evolved from family farms into factory farms, has become probably the single most toxic and horrifying and barbaric industry on the planet, as well as the most harmful. Even aside from the unspeakable cruelty it imposes on billions upon billions of animals every year, not just killing them for food unnecessarily, but causing extreme levels of suffering and torture for years along the way to the slaughterhouse, it is now becoming increasingly apparent that the practices of this industry pose grave threats to the human species and to our planet and to our neighborhoods and our public health in all kinds of different ways. To begin with, there is now enormous amounts of research demonstrating that these industries and the corporations such as Smithfield Foods and others that are leaders of them routinely dump their toxic waste and sludge into overwhelmingly poor and minority communities, severely harming the health of the residents of those communities, causing asthma and high blood pressure and increased incidence of heart attack. They are also severely destroying the environment. One of the leading causes of climate catastrophe is undoubtedly deforestation and other practices of this industry to clear land, cutting down trees in order to make space for cattle and for uh, other kinds of meat practices. There's a lot of studies now to say that that is one of the leading causes of climate catastrophe and uh, catastrophic climate scenarios. There is also ample evidence showing that this is one of the worst industries, if not the worst, when it comes to abuse of their labor force, of their worker force, as evidenced by the fact that so many of their workers contracted COVID-19 at the beginning of the year due to woefully inadequate protections. They simply didn't care about the welfare of their workers. It is also an industry that is posing extreme risk to the public health, to the health of the human species. For one thing, they wildly overly use antibiotics in order to keep their animals healthy enough to be able to make it to the slaughterhouse. And in doing so, by overusing antibiotics, are creating resistance to a wide variety of bacterial infections that are antibiotic resistance that can jump to the human species, leaving us in a vulnerable, highly vulnerable, without any antibiotic defenses to these antibiotic resistant strains that this industry is causing. They're also one of the leading dangerous uh, causes of future pandemics. Just yesterday, the London-based newspaper, The Independent, reported on a study 
published by the Humane Society International. The headline of the article in The Independent was, quote, world leaders must urgently phase out factory farming to cut future pandemic risks, says report. And the study documents five different components of factory farms that account for a substantial risk for future pandemics, not to animals, but to human beings. Those five were confining vast numbers of stressed animals indoors creates novel viral strains because their immune systems are weakened, so they succumb to viruses easily. Expanding farms into previously wild areas brings wild and domestic species together, allowing diseases to jump. Concentrating animal farms in an area increases the risk of pathogen spreading. The global live animal trade, in which huge numbers of live animals are transported globally, allows viruses to travel. And agricultural fairs and auctions and live animal markets, where the public gets close to species from different places, let viruses proliferate. If we're serious about acting and protection of the planet and the environment, if we're serious about protecting workers, if we're serious about protecting animals from completely a gratuitous torturing uh, and suffering, if we're serious about safeguarding the public health of the human species from antibiotic-resistant bacterial strains, as well as from future pandemics, it has become inevitable, necessary, without an alternative, to confront the abusive practices of the animal agriculture industry largely carried out in the dark. Now, back in May, The Intercept reported on an investigation carried out by animal rights investigators with the group Direct Action Everywhere into really gruesome techniques being used by Iowa Select Farms and other pork producers throughout Iowa and elsewhere in order to eliminate what they considered, quote, unnecessary stock, meaning numerous thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pigs now will no longer need it because of the breakdown of the supply chain due to the coronavirus pandemic. And the technique that they decided to use is one driven purely by economics and yet caused immense suffering for the pigs as they died. It was called ventilation shutdown. And essentially, as that name suggests, it was designed to cut off all air supply into the barn where the pigs are kept and then turn up the heat as high as possible, essentially to roast and suffocate the pigs over the course of many hours overnight in order to avoid more expensive but more humane ways of killing them. And the footage that we obtained and then showed and reported on was you were able to hear the agonizing cries and screams of pigs over the course of many hours as they slowly died. So this is the pen where they're going to load the trucks in and load the pigs in here. And they have it all sealed off, insulated, and they're pumping in uh, steam from the machine outside. And they're going to roast the pigs alive in this sauna. One of the things that was most remarkable, at least for me, in reporting on that story was the central role that veterinarians play, the veterinarian associations that serve this industry play in sanctioning and giving cover to techniques of this kind. In fact, Iowa Select Farms, once questions began being posed about why it was that they were using such a barbaric practice to slaughter, or as they call it, depopulate their pig stocks, pointed to 
the Veterinarians Association as their authority that sanctions the use of this technique. What they said was, quote, veterinarians and production well-being professionals, production well-being professionals are overseeing the process to ensure accordance with the American Association of Swine Veterinarians and American Veterinarian Medical Association. And as part of our report, we looked at the manual. It does say that in certain cases, ventilation shutdown, notwithstanding the extreme levels of suffering and pain and excruciating, agonizing torture it imposes on these very sentient, intelligent, and emotionally complex animals, can be justified. And although they refuse to say whether they specifically authorized it in the case of Iowa Select Farms or were participating in that practice, it was clear that they have structured their manual so as to allow the use by this industry in certain circumstances. In response to that, a veterinarian in Berkeley, the very well-respected one I referenced earlier, Dr. Crystal Heath, as well as hundreds of other veterinarians launched a campaign urging this association of veterinarians to which they belong and which they've supported from the time that they left veterinarian school and became certified as veterinarians to withdraw its approval of this process on the grounds that it's just incredibly inhumane. Crystal Heath as well has done other animal rights activist work. She's known in the Berkeley area for driving hundreds of miles to spay and neuter animals. She has worked for years for the Humane Society. She's somebody who, instead of following the path of working for large corporations or the animal and agricultural industry or otherwise following money, which requires her to sacrifice at the altar her ethics that drove her in the first place to want to become a veterinarian, she's somebody who has actually maintained her passion of caring for animals and being devoted to their well-being and welfare, as one would expect veterinarians typically are. And yet she's really not at all universal for veterinarians. And one might even say she's in a minority. And as a result of her lending her voice as a veterinarian to publicly denouncing the tactics being used by the agricultural industry, including ventilation shutdown, but other abuses as well, she has become the target of a very ugly defamation campaign engineered by industry groups that are purposely creating a climate where anybody who opposes them not just activists, but especially uh, professionals in veterinary medicine like Dr. Heath are being targeted with reputation-destroying campaigns designed to deter any of them from challenging these uh, industries in the future. And you'll hear from Dr. Heath in just a few minutes, who I interviewed, about what it is that she's endured. But the documents that we obtained as a result of this FOIA request from the Department of Agriculture tell the story of how this industry works in general and how they target people specifically like Dr. Heath. It's really pernicious, but important to understand. Now, one of the things that I think has been underappreciated about the factory farm industry is that they use the same techniques as the intelligence community and the Pentagon to justify endless war. One of the things that the Pentagon does, a crucial tactic, to be able to fight wars for 20 years as we've done in Afghanistan and throughout the Muslim world without people rising up in anger is they hide the carnage. They hide their victims. They hide the results of their violence. That's crucial to how the Pentagon, the CIA, and the intelligence community of the United States in general conducts itself to ensure that the public doesn't respond. This is exactly the same technique that the industrial animal agricultural industry uses, knowing that their practices are so savage and so horrific that transparency 
would cause people to rise up and discuss. That's why, for example, they spend so much money funding the two political parties in agricultural states where factory farming thrives in order to do things like get ag gag laws passed, namely laws that criminalize activists who obtain jobs with these factory farms in order to expose what it is that they're doing to the world and essentially to criminalize whistleblowing. And these laws have been used against whistleblowers and others. They have succeeded in at the federal level uh, characterizing uh, animal rights activists as terrorists and punishing them accordingly. So hiding what it is that they do by creating a climate of fear and using their control over the legislative process to do it is a crucial technique that this industry uses to conceal the reality of the products that they're selling. And a similar tactic that they use, just like the U.S. government, which has spent decades now, and particularly the last decade, persecuting whistleblowers, punishing them to the fullest extent of the law, taking people like Chelsea Manning and making an example of her by putting her under extremely abusive conditions, not because she's any longer a risk, but to make an example out of her or what they're doing to Julian Assange in London or what they're doing to Edward Snowden and not letting him return home to create a climate of fear for anyone who might be tempted to expose what it is they're doing. That's the same technique, the same approach that these industry groups use to punish people who, like Dr. Heath, go on a public campaign against their practices. And these documents are really worth seeing because it sheds light on, really pulls the mask down on what it is that they're doing. Now, one of the things that makes Dr. Heath such an, uh, an incredible target for them to have chosen is that she's not really a radical at all, despite the fact that she works with groups like Direct Action Everywhere that do engage in peaceful civil disobedience. She does not. She has largely confined her activism to using her specialized knowledge to denounce the uh, savagery of this industry. But one of the things that's very notable about her is that she is regarded as a hero in the Bay Area for the many years of work that she's done in shelter medicine and providing spay and neuter services to animals. She was the subject, for example, of a profile by the CBS affiliate in San Francisco. Well, the SPCA estimates that every year, 6.5 million animals enter shelters in the United States, and of those, 1.5 million will be euthanized. Yeah, those numbers are heartbreaking, but this week's Jefferson Award winner has made it her life's passion to help end the suffering of shelter animals in the Bay Area and across the globe. Venus is Dr. Crystal Heath's next patient at Berkeley Humane's weekly spay and neuter clinic. Cute. At the nonprofit, Dr. Heath and her team take in animals like Venus from shelters and rescue groups all across the Bay, providing free medical care to those that need it the most. Over the course of her nonprofit career, Dr. Heath has spayed and neutered more than 20,000 animals, a process that's now her passion. One unspayed animal can result in thousands of offspring and those offspring can often become homeless and stray and lead to problems on the streets. But the FOIA documents reveal exactly how people like her and other activists are targeted in ways that are really disturbing. The FOIA request was submitted to the, the Department of Agriculture seeking any communications between it and industry groups about animal rights activist groups, including Direct Action Everywhere. And the documents had at their center an industry group called the Animal Agriculture Alliance. And you can see how with under industry groups and sometimes even with the government, they use their extraordinary economic power and political power within the halls of government to plot against activists, to demonize activism and to use the force of the law 
and their extraordinary surveillance resources to make it very difficult to earn a living as a veterinarian or as a professional if you stand up to the practices of this industry. One of the things that the FOIA requests demonstrated with these documents is that they very closely monitor the handful of media outlets that actually cover the abuses of factory farm in the animal agricultural industry. They were obsessed, for example, with The Intercept and with our coverage over things like the ventilation shutdown, over the treatment of pigs by Smithfield Foods. They follow our Twitter accounts very closely. They constantly are monitoring what we're going to do on this very show about these topics. They constantly are sharing information about what our intentions are, trying to find out in advance about the reporting that we're doing. There's one email after the next talking about the Intercept's coverage, what they anticipate it will be, including the topics of system update. Other documents are even more pernicious still. One of the things that is really interesting is that they obviously believe that their contacts with the FBI give them great leverage. And they're constantly urging people to use those contacts that the industry and their associational groups have with the FBI to report animal rights activists as terrorists, as radicals, as subversive to the FBI. In one email after the next, you find uh, phrases and sentences labeling DXE a quote radical group and encouraging people to call the FBI on them. One of the things that it also reveals is that reporting works, exposing this industry works. They know that their practices can't withstand the light of day. When we, for example, publish that undercover video footage that was incredibly excruciating, that showed what happens with ventilation shutdown in Iowa, the way that pigs die over the course of many hours in the most horrific way imaginable. When other groups like PETA or Mercy for Animals do undercover investigations and obtain uh, video footage of what takes place in reality, as opposed to the branding inside these factory farms, they get enormous pressure from the suppliers, from the retail groups that they sell animal products to, because none of these groups, none of these companies want to be associated with those kind of practices. You can see, for example, in a June email, after we reported on ventilation shutdown in May, the industry groups extremely concerned that McDonald's was demanding answers from them about why they're using ventilation shutdown and what it is that they ought to say to a public that McDonald's were very worried about would be extremely concerned and disgusted by the pain imposed on animals. But one of the things the documents reveal is that they became particularly fixated on Dr. Crystal Keith, perhaps because she's an extremely well-spoken, moderate, likable, highly knowledgeable veterinarian, not just an activist or a leftist, as she can be dismissed as, but somebody who went to veterinary medicine school and therefore can speak with great authority about gratuitous cruelty and about suffering and about the unnecessary tactics being used by this industry. The person inside the Animal Agriculture Alliance who became particularly fixated on Dr. Heath is the vice president, Hannah Thompson Weeman. And there's emails from her in which she says that their groups are, quote, spreading the word to veterinarian contacts, contacts about Crystal, meaning they're telling the veterinarian world that Crystal is a danger. You can see the Twitter page of this vice president, Hannah Thompson Weimer. Um, she openly identifies as a vice president with this industry alliance group. And the group itself, the Animal Agriculture Alliance, has its own Twitter page where they frequently tweet on behalf of the industry. And their tagline is, quote, bridge the communication gap between farm and fork, farm and fork. That's their essential mission. And one of the things that happened is after 
this campaign was initiated by this industry group against Dr. Thief, on her Facebook page began appearing extremely vitriolic, vicious denunciations by fellow veterinarians who were alerted by this industry group, calling her all kinds of names, saying that she was a, quote, liar, that she was bastardizing the profession and warning that her name is, quote, literally toxic. Now, once these comments began appearing on the internet about her, Dr. Heath, as you're going to hear, wasn't entirely sure why these were suddenly appearing, these attacks on her reputation, on her professional competence, on her character. But then it became clear why this was happening. There was clearly a coordinated campaign that targeted her. One of the things that became particularly disturbing was a flyer that began appearing on the internet that read at the top, beware. It was almost written as though it was a, she was one of the FBI's most wanted fugitives. And it said at the top, attention veterinarians. And it talk, it shows a picture of her. It says, Crystal Heath, the veterinarian colleague and self-proclaimed animal rights activist, is presently active in veterinarian social media groups. And then in bold, it says she has an agenda that doesn't include anything positive for our profession. It claims that she publicly expresses a fondness for what it calls domestic terrorist organizations, namely Animal Liberation Front and Earth Liberation Front, that in fact, she's never had anything to do with and knows very little about. And then at the end, it says, we recommend you block this person, Crystal Heath. You do not want her having access to anything on your profile. You do not want her viewing any content in mutual social media groups or platforms. Now, imagine what that does if you're a veterinarian and this is circulating within your profession to people who may not be familiar with your work and who therefore are inclined to believe it to future employers who would find this on the internet if you apply for a job and just decide that you're not worth that risk. It's clearly designed to generate hatred for her within her own profession for doing nothing more than criticizing the practices of the animal agricultural industry and factory farms. Now, this should not be surprising coming from this group, the Animal Agricultural Alliance, because they make very clear that one of their core functions on behalf of this industry is what they call, quote, monitoring activism, that they monitor uh, animal rights activists. That's part of what their function is. And it reads on their own site, quote, protests, demonstrations, and incidents of activists breaking into farms are on the rise. The use of, quote, undercover videos is a significant tactic. Animal rights activists continue to mislead consumers who have been never been to a farm about how livestock and poultry are raised. We identify emerging threats and provide insightful resources on animal rights and other activist groups by attending their events, monitoring traditional and social media, and engaging our national network. And indeed, you can find on their own site examples where they've spied on meetings of animal rights activists. In fact, you, there's one a report that is entitled Insights Gained from an Animal Rights Conference, one of the biggest uh, held every year that was held in 2019. I was actually invited and scheduled to attend that myself and at the last minute canceled, but it describes how uh, the Animal Agriculture Alliance has released a report detailing the Animal Rights National Conference, which was held July 25th to 28th in Alexandria, Virginia. One of the emails that was obtained through this FOIA request actually proposed and again, this obviously included conversations with officials from the U.S. government, the Department of Agriculture, as well as industry representative groups, that they should start taking photos of all DXE members, in their words, and posting them online in order to make sure that everybody knew who belongs to direct action everywhere.
This is essentially a little private CIA or private FBI operating on behalf of an extremely wealthy and unaccountable industry that is endangering the public health, that is dumping its waste into predominantly poor neighborhoods and minority neighborhoods, that is endangering uh, the ability to fight off bacterial infections using antibiotics, that is risking future pandemics, that is abusing its workforce almost like no other industry is, that is jeopardizing our ability to avert catastrophic climate scenarios, and that is imposing unspeakable suffering on highly complex animals. They're engaged in monitoring and surveillance and reputation-destroying campaigns, both unto themselves and in conjunction with the government agencies at the federal and state level that they control. And at the very least, it's way past time for this industry to be able to operate in the dark as they've been doing and as they depend on doing in order to prevent a real uprising against their actual practices. So I think it's a very important topic. I think these documents are crucial. That's why we've written about them on the Intercept's website in detail and reported on them. And that's as well why I'm speaking next to Dr. Heath about what it is that she's experienced and what it is that she's endured and why it's so important. I hope you'll enjoy the discussion I have with her. Joining me now to talk about these campaigns of persecution against activists by industry insider groups is somebody who has firsthand knowledge of it from having been targeted by it. She's Dr. Crystal Heath, a Berkeley area veterinarian, as well as an animal rights activist who has witnessed a lot of how these campaigns work firsthand. Dr. Heath, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's such a huge honor um, to be able to tell my story. Yeah, absolutely. I think your story is incredibly important. And before we delve into the specifics of it, um, I'd love if you could just take a couple minutes to talk about what your work consists of, both as a veterinarian over the past several years or decade or so, as well as as uh, an activist on behalf of animals. Yeah, sure. I graduated from UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine in 2012. Um, while I was there, I volunteered with a shelter veterinarian up in Sacramento, where I learned about the, the field of shelter medicine and high-quality, high-volume spay-neuter and uh, ended up with a passion in that area, and uh, that ended up being my career. Um, so I currently work with a bunch of animal shelters, as well as uh, rescue groups and nonprofit spay-neuter clinics as well. Um, as far as activism, I have been involved with Direct Action Everywhere. Um, since last year, I got involved with them um, during when I found out they, they were working to ban fur in California, and that is a, a issue that I really believed in and I thought would be great progress uh, for the animals. And so I got involved with um, working on legislation with them and lobbying the uh, assembly people and senators in California. Um, and so since then, my work with uh, Direct Action Everywhere has been mostly policy work and legislation. And it's just to be a little... Um delve in a little bit deep, more deeply on, on your work as a veterinarian. There's a lot of different ways that people uh, who are veterinarians find work. Some people work at corporations. Some people have private practices. Some people work with uh, NGOs or the Humane Society. What has your work consisted of as a veterinarian? Um, shelter medicine, I work with a Humane Society um was my full-time career. I just recently left to start my own um, 
deal, but I do travel around the state to work for a variety of different rescues and municipal shelters, um, humane societies, and um, nonprofit spay-neuter clinics. Occasionally, I will also do some general practice work as well. So the thing that has brought us together today, at least, is um, a campaign that has been launched with you as a primary target, if not the principal target, that clearly has some of these shadowy industry groups behind it that is attempting clearly to harm your reputation as a veterinarian professional um, as a result of the activism on behalf of animals you've done and your work against some of the abuses of the industry. Can you talk about just personally what you've experienced as a result of these campaigns? Yeah, um, it's it, it was very strange. I, I uh, it, It's quite emotional. And um, it's a, I had a hard time kind of preparing for this interview, just looking back on some of the things that people had said about me. Um, it all started when I posted on a veterinary Facebook group. And these are, um, there are many Facebook groups that are limited to only veterinarians who can join and we share cases and we network and um, talk about our professional lives and everything. It's a very important part of being a veterinarian, and I feel like these Facebook groups are a great benefit to everyone's career. Um, and I posted asking to shadow a livestock veterinarian so that I could learn more about their jobs. Um, they then saw on my Facebook page that I had posted some things from Direction Action Everywhere that were critical of uh, animal agriculture and factory farming. Um, and they then started attacking me as an animal rights activist who was going to go undercover and film people secretly. Um, and that was never my intention. Um, and after that, they then um, banned me from most of the veterinary Facebook groups. And I found out through some of my other colleagues that um, they had sent around this meme of me saying that I was a dangerous animal rights activist and that I was like sympathetic to the Animal Liberation Front and Earth Liberation Front, which are groups I am not very familiar with. I don't know their work. Um, I've heard that they're violent, but I, I don't even know what to believe anymore because people are saying that I'm violent and I, I'm not. Um, so I, I believe in nonviolence as um, Direct Action Everywhere does. Um, and I don't completely agree with everything direct action everywhere does and I don't participate in all their actions but um yeah it was quite shocking to be painted as this dangerous person that can't be trusted as I am somebody who is welcome into any animal shelter no animal shelter is worried that I'm going to film people secretly or film shelters secretly um most dog and cat veterinarians trust me to work in their practices um and so it was, it was really quite shocking to be um, smeared in this way. Um, and later, um, we discovered that there was this email um, sent out by the Animal Agricultural Alliance saying um, that people, I was a danger. <laughs> it sounds like you've got a dog coughing in the background. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really scary to be targeted this way. And now I'm 
no longer in those Facebook groups because they kicked me out. Um, I did have many supportive colleagues who were screenshotting what was said about me and sending these screenshots to me, but they themselves were afraid to speak up for fear of being smeared. And they themselves are also scared to post things on social media about animal rights and criticizing factory farming and the abuses and the dangers because they don't want to face the same retaliation. So it does have this dampening effect on the conversation among veterinarians. So first of all, that was excellent confirmation of your skills that you're able to identify that sound in the background as a dog coughing, which is exactly what it was. Um, it's very trust building uh, <laughs> ability on your part. Um, when, when you say, you know, as you did several times in that answer that they have targeted you, that they began circulating um, these kinds of flyers, that they were saying these things about you. Who is it that you mean by they specifically? What do you know about the groups or the people who are behind this campaign? The only thing person I've, only group I've seen for certain is the Animal Agricultural Alliance. I didn't really know anything about this group uh, beforehand. Um, I've come to find out they're like a rapid response sort of PR group that um, aims to protect the agriculture industry. And um, they surveil animal rights groups on social media and um, alert their members about them and kind of act quickly to help pass legislation to, um, you know, obviously silence people like me um, by making sure our voices aren't heard, um, getting us banned from various groups, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I honestly had never really heard of them or knew much about them until all of this happened. Well, you mentioned that you had recently left the Humane Society, at least in terms of like the work that you had been doing with regularity there. We're obviously in the middle of a pandemic where people have lost their jobs by the millions or tens of millions. The economy is continuing to deteriorate, which makes everybody's work much more precarious than it was, say, a year ago. Um, have you seen any repercussions of this campaign? People, other veterinarians, talking about you or to you on social media and what concerns do you have about the impact it might have on your career and your ability to earn a living as a veterinarian? Well, thankfully I am pretty well known in the Bay area here and I have many job opportunities with many veterinarians and organizations in this area who I work with regularly, who know me and trust me. If I were to leave this area, I am fearful of, what people outside of this community might think of me because they'll see these things posted online about me. Um, they'll have heard my name uh, as a danger. Um, and I'm sad that I can't um, work with livestock veterinarians to learn more about their job. I would love to start a dialogue and learn more about them as I did as a shelter veterinarian. You know, I didn't know anything about shelter medicine until I was able to talk with a shelter veterinarian and learn their job and learn um, what it was like to have that career. And um, I had a lot of misconceptions about shelter medicine before um, before starting that career. But um, any now it, it seems like I am I'm afraid to post anything on the veterinary message boards. 
on the few veterinary Facebook groups that still have me as a member, um, one of them, the shelter veterinarian Facebook group, um, the admin sent me a message and was like, Hey, we just received this notification about you. Just so you know, um, we don't believe it, but I just wanted to hear your side of the story. And so they know me and trusted me. I'm a pretty well-known shelter veterinarian. Um, but people outside of that network don't really know. And it, I feel like it has damaged my reputation and has painted what I say, even though you can look up on my social media and see my beliefs are out there. I'm not hiding anything about my beliefs about um, animal exploitation and factory farming. Um, but just to be painted as somebody dangerous who would go undercover um, is has been, I think, quite damaging to my reputation outside of people who know me. Yeah, I mean, as as you know, you you suggest. I mean, if you're in a community where you work for quite a while and people know you and trust you, it might be more difficult to achieve the goal of eliminating opportunities for you or dirtying your name through these kind of flyers. But if there's a community that doesn't know you and there's a lot of different veterinarians who are seeking the same opportunity and you're one of them and someone finds that on the internet, whether they know it's true or not, um, I could easily see someone saying, well, I take the risk on her. There's obviously a cloud over her head. Um, and here's 20 veterinarians for whom that's not the case. And why gamble on her? Um, which is clearly the point of the campaign. Um, let me ask you, uh, you know, a few months ago, as I think, you know, we did reporting in conjunction with an investigation conducted by uh, Direct Action Everywhere into math euthanasia techniques being used by uh, various uh, pork farms, including Iowa Select Foods, where they were using this horrific method called ventilation shutdown, as it, the name suggests, where they were cutting off the air into barns and turning up the heat in order to basically suffocate and roast um, huge numbers of animals to death over the course of many hours as they suffered and screamed. And one of the things that I was very surprised, to be honest, to learn in the course of doing that reporting is that there is a veterinarians association that exists um, that kind of seems to serve the industry that promulgates standards for whether these techniques are humane or not, whether they're justified or not, and seem to have endorsed not just this technique and the abstract, but its specific usage, notwithstanding all the pain and suffering that it causes. Um, and one of the reasons why it's surprising is because kind of the iconography of veterinarians is that people go into veterinarian medicine because of their love for animals, their desire to help animals, and sort of see a veterinarian association endorsing a technique that brings such extreme suffering and torture to animals was, at least for me, somewhat unsettling. Um, what can you tell us about the role that some veterinarians are playing in some of the worst abuses of the animal agriculture industry? Yeah, um, I was one of over 900 veterinarians who signed a letter to the AVMA asking them to... What is the AMVA is, is? American Veterinary Medical Association. And this is the organization that condoned this practice of ventilation shutdown. Um, and we asked them to condemn it. Like this is a very cruel practice that should not be done. Um, and over 900 veterinarians signed a letter asking the AVMA to, to not allow this practice anymore. Um, 
And I sent an email to my representatives with the AVMA. I called them. I never heard back at all. I And I've been a paying member of the AVMA since I graduated that school. And they never got back to us at all. Um, and as far as I know, never responded. And it's, it is just horrifying to think that our group allows such a, a horrible practice. I mean, and Iowa Select Farms was choosing to do this because of it was a cheap way to get rid of these pigs. And they had no sympathy for the amount of suffering for over hours that they went through. And many vets like myself were horrified by this. Um, and our voices are not being heard because we feel like the industry are the ones that are making the rules and veterinarians who have a compassionate view like us aren't, aren't getting our voices heard. And I spoke to many other veterinarians um, about this and they were scared to even put their names on the letter for fear of retaliation. Um, so it's, it's quite scary, the dampening effect that it has had on the conversation. We're not even allowed to discuss the, this normalized violence against animals that, um, that is pervasive in our society. Um, but what is it that you think explains that? In other words, maybe I'm wrong about this. I didn't go to, to study veterinary medicine or veterinary science, but I assume that most people who do are motivated in that first instance by a love of animals. Um, just like people who want to become doctors are motivated by, at least initially, a desire to help people who are sick. Um, I think a lot of people who go to law school are motivated by a desire to fight injustice. And sometimes along the way, or a lot of times along the way, the system is designed to kind of corrupt those motives, to put people on a path that's much different than the one that originally led them to choose that profession. In the case of veterinarians, what dynamics are at play that would lead an association of veterinarians to serve an industry that imposes so much, not just death, but suffering and torture, needless suffering and torture? There are several factors in place that I think allow this to happen. Um, number one is there is usually an industry vet veterinarian or industry professional on every veterinary admissions board. Um, people have shared with me uh, repeatedly that if it comes out that a veterinary student doesn't makes a commitment not to consume animals or animal products, or they have a history of animal activism, they will not be allowed into vet school. Um, I was told when I was interviewing for vet school to not bring up the fact that I didn't eat meat or anything like that. And was told, you know, you have to be aware that there is an industry professional on the the board on the admissions board. Um, and there's also the fact that um, in order to get, get gain entrance into vet school, I personally studied animal science at UC Davis. Uh, in my lower division courses, I had to castrate pigs without anesthesia chop off a sheep's tail with no anesthesia. And these are things I think more compassionate people, if they were forced to do in order to get into vet school, would just give up and not proceed further with the career. Um, and many of the people who go to vet school do have families who work in 
animal agriculture industry and are the children of farmers and they have grown up in the system. Um, and then those who progress through the leadership of the AVMA are also sympathetic to factory farming. And it kind of just allows this system of violence against animals to continue. Well, one of the key factors in how all of this functions, of course, is that this is a very uh, economically well-resourced industry and they use their economic power to, for example, pour money into the coffers of both political parties. They control multiple state houses around the country, particularly those where factory farming is most common, and control and kind of you exploit the legislative process for their own interests, like a lot of industries do, although they're particularly effective at it. Is there a, an economic component as well to the relationship between veterinarian associations on the one hand of the kind, for example, that approved ventilation shutdown and this industry on the other? I believe that's possible. I know the AVMA has given money to politicians. Um, I, I don't know the exact details of it. I know there's a very tight relationship between the USDA, the Animal Agricultural Alliance, the pork board, uh, the members who are a part of the pork board um, have given money to the Animal Agricultural Alliance. You know, they, they do have the political power in place, the legislative power in place to allow these things to continue. Um, but I, you know, it's unfortunate. I, I don't have a whole lot of time to research this and look into this because I'm a working full-time veterinarian, as a lot of uh, my colleagues are. And we kind of are working day in and day out, you know, helping the animals and we don't have a whole lot of time to look into the bigger picture of what all is behind um, these these systems that are allowing this to continue. Yeah, I think that's the job of, of journalists like myself and others who are covering uh, this industry. Um, and there's been some work done on that. Um, and, and certainly there will be a lot more uh, coming. Uh, just as the final question, um, you know, I've worked for a long time, first as a lawyer, and I was a journalist with activists who are targeted by industry for persecution and for campaigns of defamation or other forms of retaliation and punishment. And oftentimes, speaking generally, there are kind of two different reactions that a person might have, especially someone whose professional life is being targeted as yours is. One is to say, look, I just can't risk any longer uh, the consequences of a very powerful industry continuing to target my good name, my reputation. Uh, it's just not something I can afford to continue to do. It's causing me a lot of difficulties and problems and other people are going to have to pick up the slack. The other reaction is sort of the opposite, which is to say, you know what? I'm now more emboldened than ever when I realize that how dirty this industry plays, how abusive its practices are, how eager and desperate they are to cover up and conceal the truth about their conduct, and I'm going to now redouble my efforts as an activist. Which of those two, or you know, if you want to kind of pick somewhere in the middle, is your reaction to having found out what is being done about uh, how, how you're being targeted, and, and what's your kind of ongoing motivation for uh, future activism? Yeah, this has to stop. I, I cannot just allow this to continue, and I cannot talk about this. Um, so what 
I think we do need to empower young veterinarians to speak up and to follow their conscience and follow their ethics. And we need to um, let um, young, compassionate vets um, have the support that they need in order to continue um, to do the work that they want to do. So a bunch of us um, who were facing this and who felt that our voices weren't being heard uh, started a website called OurHonor.org, and it allows um, professionals in the animal industry and veterinary professionals to send us their stories, and we will join together and help stop these systems of violence. Um, I know in veterinary school they used to um, kill dogs after the vet students practice surgery on them. At UC Davis, now that is no longer the case because um, students spoke up against the practice. Um, and so that story is told on this website um, and other stories like it, um, which are, are very important to be heard. Um, so yeah, I, I think we do need to, um, we need to speak out and people need to be aware that they aren't alone. Um, that the industry is the minority. Most veterinarians get into this field because our loved animals, and we don't have to rely on exploiting animals forever. Yeah, well, Dr. Heath, thank you very much for the work you've been doing. Um, I think it's particularly important for veterinarians to be involved because of the credibility that you bring in the authority um, and specialized knowledge that you bring to this kind of activism. And, and thanks as well for uh, enduring these campaigns that I know are, are difficult and, and for taking the time to talk to me about them. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's such an honor. All right, great. Thanks so much. System Update is produced and edited by Victor Poggi. Art direction is by Rodrigo T. Lima. Video editing by Renata Rocha. Lauren Feeney is the Intercept's video director. And I'm Glenn Greenwald.